Welcome to Clets Heads, the podcast about bilingual children. My name is Sharon Onsworth, linguist at Radboud University in Nijmegen, the Netherlands, a mother of two bilingual children. Before we start this episode of Clets Heads, the last of this season, a reminder that Clets Heads is now on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn. If you're also a social media user, we'd love it if you followed us and shared the podcast with your friends, family or colleagues. Have you ever noticed that your bilingual child or bilingual children in your class or clinic sometimes say things slightly differently to children who only know one language? And that how they say things seems to be influenced by their other language. We call this cross-linguistic influence. And that's what we're going to talk about in this episode of Kletz Heads. In Let's Kletz, we talk to a mother here in the Netherlands about deciding which language to talk to your child when, as a parent, you grew up bilingually yourself and about the challenges her family have faced during the lockdown and afterwards. And our Kletz Head of the Week is the trilingual 12-year-old, Nicole. She tells us why it's important for her to speak Italian and how some words can be a bit confusing because they sound the same in two languages but mean something different. Keep listening to find out more. It's summer holiday time and at least in a normal year this often means a trip abroad. Brush up on your school French and before you know it you'll be ordering your croissants at the baker's or enjoying a nice glass of wine sitting in the sunshine at a cafe. And of course, it doesn't all have to be in perfect French. So if you want to order a white wine and you say un blanc vin instead of un vin blanc, the waiter will surely understand you, even though you've got the order of white and wine mixed up. In English, as in many other languages around the world, adjectives come before the word that they're describing. So you say big bottle, green tree and happy child. There are languages, however, where the adjectives come after the word that they're describing. Think, for example, of Spanish or Welsh. In French, both orders are possible. Now, if you did French at school, you might not quite remember, but most adjectives like blanc, rouge, vert, the words for all the colours, as well as words like néerlandais, Dutch, magnifique, super, and dangereux, dangerous, they all appear after the word that they're describing rather than before it. But there are exceptions. At the baker's, you should order un grand croissant and not a croissant grand. Now, you might be wondering, why is she telling us all of this? Well, saying un blanc vin instead of un vin blanc as an English speaker is a good example of what we're going to talk about in this episode. Cross-linguistic influence. So that's how one language influences another. This isn't just something that happens to adults as second language learners. We also see cross-linguistic influence in bilingual children. This is one of the reasons why bilingual children can sometimes sound different from their monolingual cousins. Now, these differences might be in their accent, so how they sound, their choice of words, 
but also in the way that they put together their sentences or their morphosyntax to give it its proper linguistic label, as in the examples I just gave. And that's what we're going to be focusing on in this episode. Why do bilingual children do this? What does it tell us about their language development? And why do some bilingual children do it more often than others? Is cross-linguistic influence something to worry about? Or is it part and parcel of being bilingual? These are the questions we're going to answer in this episode. And we're going to do this together with my colleague at the Rabat University in Nijmegen, the Netherlands, Chantal van Dijk. Chantal has been working with me for the past five years on a project that deals precisely with this topic, the two-in-one project. The podcast recording was also the first time Chantal and I had seen each other in person for almost a year. We caught up one sunny afternoon in my back garden. I started our conversation by asking Chantal to give us some more examples of how one of a bilingual child's two languages can influence the other. Typical are like word order examples where bilingual children, uh, where you notice they have to use a different word order than a monolingual child might do. So, for example, a Dutch-English bilingual child could say something like, um, "Ik viel af de trap," I fell down the stairs, which is perfectly fine in English, of course, but in Dutch it's incorrect word order. And it might also happen the other way around. So maybe a bilingual child could say something in English like, "I fell the stairs down." which is perfectly fine in Dutch, but it's not a correct word order in English. Yeah, yeah. So I noticed that too, right, in my own kids, that they say things sometimes that it's not wrong, but it's it's not quite right. Some things are completely wrong. Like uh, my son once said something like, I want that not, if you speak Dutch or German. That's a very clearly influence of one of those two languages, Dutch in his case, of course. Or they might say something like, you're doing that, instead of you doing that the whole time, you're doing you're doing all the time that, or something like that, right? So yeah. things which, you know, you understand what they mean, but it doesn't sound quite right. And I'm sure many of the parents listening will have their own favourite examples from their children. How common is it then that bilingual children show cross-linguistic influence? Well, on the, on the one hand, like, it is it is common. It's We see that it's very typical for bilingual children to to show this sometimes, this cross-linguistic influence. However, at the same time, we also see that, that children, like most of the time, they just use the, the, the word order from their languages. So most of the time, they, they you don't see this influence from one language on the other. Mm-hmm. And I think also relevant here is that there is a lot of variation between children. So you have children that might not show it at all, and other children, like sometimes, and some more than other children. And even like the same child might go through a phase where they do it more than like later on. So there are just a lot, lot of differences here. Yeah, so is that, that which is also one of the things that makes it so interesting to look at, right, as a researcher, because we, we're trying to basically figure out what is causing yeah. children to do this, right? We'll talk a bit more about that later. So you said there's lots of variation between children. So what do we know then about what predicts when one language will influence the other? Yeah, so we actually did what is called a meta-analysis mm-hmm. uh, to look at these these different predictors or factors that predict cross-linguistic influence. So what we did is we took studies that were already done before with bilingual children mm-hmm. and we combined them all. So we had lots of different uh, information from lots of, lots of different children, so more than 700 bilingual children. And then we looked at whether 
if we saw differences between these children, whether that was maybe because of whether they were dominant in one of their languages or not, um, how old the children were, and also whether there was overlap between their languages. So this way, so that's called a meta-analysis. This way we could really see whether certain factors played a role in or could predict cross-linguistic influence. One that's been investigated quite a lot is language dominance. So typically a bilingual child has a stronger language and a weaker language. And what we, for example, then see or what people have, have claimed is that then there is more influence from the stronger language onto the weaker language mm -hmm. than the other way around, for example. Influence from one language into the other is typically stronger, or we see that it's stronger from a, the dominant language into the weaker language, but we also do see it in the other direction, so it's right. not yeah, bound to that. Yeah, I recognise that too, because I also see that my kids show influence for both directions, right? They say English-like things in their Dutch, but also Dutch-like things in their English. So in the study that Chantal just mentioned, we pulled together the data from 26 different studies from over 700 monolingual children and over 700 bilingual children with 17 different language combinations. You can find a link to the article we wrote in the show notes. It's open access, which means that anyone can read it, though it is, of course, written for other researchers rather than the general public, so there's quite a lot of jargon in there. As Chantal just explained... One of our findings was that language dominance predicted the extent to which one language influenced another, but not which language influenced the other. Language dominance basically refers to the balance between a child's two or more languages, which one is stronger. Most bilingual children are dominant in one of their languages, but this isn't always the case. How best to measure language dominance is a tricky question and a question to which we don't really have a clear-cut answer. That's a topic for a future episode of Klet's Heads. What we did in this meta-analysis was to consider the language spoken in the local community as the dominant language. So, for example, in the case of Greek-English bilingual children, those who were living in Greece would be considered dominant in Greek and those who were living in the UK would be considered dominant in English. This isn't perfect by any means, but precisely because there's no clear-cut way to measure dominance that's used by all researchers, this was the best we could do with the data available. So what we found then was that the influence from the language spoken in the local community on the home language or heritage language was larger than the other way round. So in the example I just gave, this would mean that for the Greek-English bilingual children growing up in Greece, the influence of Greek on English would be larger than the other way round. But there would still be influence from English on Greek. Another factor that has been found to play a role in cross-linguistic influence is how similar the two languages are or not. This is usually referred to as language overlap. It's not a question of the two languages being completely the same, so completely overlapping, but rather that they overlap a little bit, so there's partial overlap. Here's Chantal again. So what we, for example, see is that in, when in one language there are multiple possibilities, like multiple options, uh, and in the other language there's only one option, then you see um, stronger influence from the language with only one option into the other language. Right, so if we go back to the example that I mentioned at the start with the adjectives and the nouns in 
in French. So how would that work then? Yeah, so that's a good example then, because in French, so like you said, adjectives are typically appear after the noun, like uh, vin blanc. But we also have, we know that there are a number of adjectives in French that actually come in front of the noun typically, like um, grand, big, for example, petit, small. So there is some optionality in French. And if a child has another language like English or Dutch or German, where the adjective always uh, goes in front of the noun, so no matter which kind of adjective, then the idea would be that children use these adjectives in front of the noun more often in French as well, under influence of their other language. Right, right. So the one language basically reinforces one of the two options in the other language. Yeah, and I think it's interesting here that also we see that also monolingual children might then had do something different sometimes than adults. So it's not just the bilingual children doing that, but yeah, due to influence from the other language, some bilingual children might show it more strongly, for example. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's a good example of how bilingual children may do something that's the same as, as monolingual children, but they do it maybe for longer. Yeah, so we see different things. Yeah, sometimes they can do something more. It can actually also be like in a different direction that they actually maybe acquire something a bit earlier than monolingual children because the other language uh, helps them. Yeah, but they might also do things that are just completely different, right, from monolingual children. So they might say something like uh, apple green, which obviously doesn't sound very English, yeah. uh, English-like at all. I think it's worth emphasising here that most of the research on this topic focuses on cases where bilingual children do something different from monolinguals of the same age, as in the example I just gave. Or cases where bilingual children make the same mistakes as monolingual children do, but they carry on making these mistakes for longer. There are, however, studies showing that bilingual children's languages can help each other For example, in a study looking at bilingual children learning Italian and German, researchers found that they were quicker to learn the various words German has for the compared with monolingual German-speaking children. Now, why was this? Well, because their other language, Italian, gave them a helping hand. This part of Italian grammar is a lot simpler than in German And so, the researchers argued, bilingual children were able to make use of what they'd learnt in Italian to help the German. Let's Kletz! In every episode of Kletz Heads, we talk to a parent, teacher or other professional about their experiences with bilingual children. In this episode, we hear from a mum who grew up bilingually herself and who is now raising her own child with two languages. Hi, I'm Martha and I speak English and Dutch with our little boy. I live in Kampen. It's a riverside town near to the Zwolle in the sort of northeast of the Netherlands. Yeah, so you're a little boy and how old is he? He's actually just turned five. Yeah, tell us about your situation at home. Does everybody speak English or? No, just me really. We sort of try and do uh, one parent, one language. So my husband speaks Dutch. He is actually Dutch and I'm English by birth, but have dual nationality. So from sort of day one, I've spoken English to our little boy and my husband Jasper has spoken Dutch to him. Yeah. And you were telling me just before we started the recording that you yourself grew up bilingually in the Netherlands, right? Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Because that's quite interesting that you're bilingual yourself. Yeah, exactly. Well, we moved here when I was about three from England, from London. Um, my parents are both British, English. So they spoke English to us. 
and my baby brother was only six months when we moved here. So we went to Dutch schools. And after a little while, my parents noticed that our Dutch was much better than their Dutch, especially for my mum, who didn't work outside the home. So she thought, right, I'd better switch to Dutch. Otherwise, I won't be able to keep up with the kids and sort of stage a coup and get up to no good speaking Dutch really quickly. And I won't know what they're up to. Um, so from then on, she sort of went back and forth, but mostly English was the language at home. And that's really how we learn English. And we would go to England once or twice a year to see family and then speak English there. You mentioned also before before we started the recording that prior to having a child, you mostly spoke Dutch rather than English. So I'm interested, what made you decide to make the switch and how easy was it for you to make that switch? It was actually really weird at first. I decided to make the switch because I'm quite close to several family members in England and I thought it would be nice for him to be able to visit with them and also with cousins of sort of his age because all my cousins are having kids now and sort of looking into the future, he might want to go to England and be able to communicate with them and also that English is a useful language so those were sort of reasons that I thought it would be fun and then I started reading about it during my pregnancy and thought oh I need to start doing that sort of straight away oh oh okay so that was really weird because when a baby is born obviously they don't answer back so I was sort of having to chatter away to a baby saying, oh, um, oh, I'm going to change your nappy now. Oh, this is your left foot. Oh, I'm putting a sock on and things you're supposed to say to a baby to help them. Do that all in English. So that was really weird because I, I didn't do that sort of thing. I would phone my granny about once a week and have a video chat with other family every so often, but not sort of on a day-to-day -day basis. So the first few months were really weird. And my parents do still live in Holland, so we do see them sort of, well, not that often because they don't really live nearby, but they help because they speak English to him. And within about a year, we got to know another English family here in, in Kampa. Funnily enough, with the same language pair, so they were half English, half Dutch, sort of like me as well. So that was really good. So he could interact with other English-speaking kids. And I noticed that my English was actually really old-fashioned because I would speak to my granny, who was born in 1920. So that was sort of my active vocabulary was 1950s English. So I would be saying, oh, you're a brick. And my younger cousins were like, what is you're a brick? What are you on about, Martha? And yeah. And how's it going with his bilingualism then? Well, it's been really interesting because the first sort of two years when he started to talk, it was about 50-50. I kept an Excel file of the words <laughs> he knew. Wow. A bit of a geek, sorry. So Even I don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> I think I sort of gave up after a while. I, I think I went up to 200 words. And for the first sort of 150 to 200 words, it was about 50-50. When he was about six months, he started going to daycare three days a week. And when he started to talk in sentences, he switched to Dutch. And it became sort of 80-20 Dutch to English. And I would still be talking English to him all the time and he would answer in Dutch, which was fine because, I mean, that's obvious because we live here. So, of course, he's got more exposure to Dutch. So I wasn't upset by that or worried or anything. And then lockdown happened last year and it happened at a really strange time in that he was due to start school on the Monday that the lockdown started. Oh! So it was really frustrating for us and for him because we'd sort of been preparing him like, so you're going to start school on Monday and you'll go for two trial mornings first to sort of get to know the classroom and the teacher, etc. 
And suddenly that wasn't happening. So suddenly he was at home all of the time. And we noticed in the summer that he suddenly started to switch to English and he was speaking English much more. And then after the second lockdown in the winter, he's become almost exclusively English in his conversation. He's probably watched things on sort of on the iPad, like um, educational apps and, and Paw Patrol and all sorts of video stuff. Most of that has been in English because all the time up until this year, we've made a conscious effort to have enough English in the home because yeah. the outside world is all dirt. So, but in the winter, for medical reasons, we had a really strict lockdown as, as a family because we're both, uh, I think the English word is extremely vulnerable or vulnerable category. So we didn't have any visitors at home at all during the lockdown, not even the one a day that was allowed. So he didn't see other kids um, except for the odd play date outside for about two months. Wow. So that has really, really impacted his language. And school has actually been really worried about that. And he had already seen a speech and language therapist last year for a sort of a screening just to check because they do that at the beginning of a school year anyway. And she said, no, his language, what's the word? Language acquisition, I think. Yeah. Is sort of, it's adequate for a bilingual child. So his, his Dutch is slightly slower than you would want for that age but that's normal because he's bilingual but now she's she's sort of done a second screening and she's now saying his Dutch vocabulary is active the number of words he knows has really dropped and he does know the Dutch word for things but he doesn't immediately use it himself his first response will be in English yeah so he's been really struggling at school because of this and it's taken us by surprise because we've always been so conscious of having enough English at home sort of not really making an effort about the Dutch because that would happen naturally. And then suddenly this sort of once in a lifetime situation of lockdowns has... Let's st- hope it's once in a lifetime. Yes, let's hope so. But all sort of the surprising effects of it. I mean, if it does happen again, then all of us will be more prepared, maybe do things differently. Yeah, I guess, you know, in a certain sense, if he has been in a completely English language environment for two months... Uh, with no contact with Dutch, it's not entirely surprising. What we've noticed is after about a month or maybe two months, he did start switching back and forth more. Yeah. Because my husband does speak Dutch with him and did speak Dutch with him during the lockdown, but he was still working. So he spent far less time with our boy than I did. So he's been making a conscious effort to read more stories to him and sort of do more things in Dutch with him. And we've noticed that Max um, has been visibly thinking, oh, right, daddy's talking to me now. OK, that needs to be in Dutch. And we've sort of been saying to him, OK, so what's that in Dutch? Do you know what the word for that is? And trying to keep it playful and not make him feel inadequate or worried or anything. Because I think that does happen at school that he'll sort of freeze when he doesn't know the words. And then the other kids will think, oh, well, don't bother playing with him because he doesn't know what to say anyway. And that's a bit of a difficult thing that's going on for him. But it's it's really an effort to sort of think, how can we sort of change this so that it becomes a more positive thing for him again? Yeah, sounds quite challenging. And what about the teachers? How have they responded? They don't know that much about bilingualism because, again, it's quite a small town, so there aren't that many bilingual children. So they've been trying to be positive and helpful. But because it's English and they understand what he's saying, 
they just sort of react to what he says, whereas they probably should just be asking him, what do you mean? Mm -hmm. Forcing him in a gentle way to speak Dutch. So it's, and obviously they have a whole class full of children, so they can't sort of constantly be translating or managing things, whatever. So they've been doing their best. Yeah. And so how do others react to your child being bilingual? Mostly, I think about, well, 99% are positive. Again, probably because it's English and not something else. One friend of mine has said, I'm glad that it's English because it can feel quite rude to be speaking in English to him when you're sort of in company with other people and they're, they're not understanding what I'm saying to him, but she can understand English. So she, she said recently to me, well, I'm glad it's English because if it was something I didn't understand, it would feel really sort of weird and like what are you talking about are you talking about me etc that just shows you what kind of a place of privilege we're in right absolutely yeah I'm friends um through Instagram with several people who were involved in uh, like Black Lives Matter and anti-discrimination anti-racism education stuff and one of them is um Suriname her heritage and the the Dutch person who did the Eurovision song contest recently part of the song he did was in the language of Suriname tango yeah exactly which used to be prohibited so it's just a huge change that's happened but if she spoke that language to her little boy in the street she'd get a very different response than when I speak English to Max yeah I think all the more reason to keep saying that to people right to point it out to people that it's one kind of bilingualism is not better than the other so what are you most proud of so far the fact that even before he could speak himself he could understand English when he was really little I think he was well he just starting saying words we were visiting a family in England in Newcastle and my uncle said something to him. He said, oh, you've dropped uh, the fork on the floor. And he immediately crawled over, picked up the fork and gave it to my uncle. And he was like, oh, my God, this child who lives in Holland can understand what I'm saying. And that was just it was brilliant. And then other times when he started interacting with that English family I talked about, that was great fun as well, because he was sort of you could see he was thrilled to hear other kids speak this strange language that he speaks with mama. Yeah, so they can communicate with other family family and friends. And what do you think his future looks like now? So, you know, he's gone from being very English-oriented. It seems like Dutch is back on the up. Yeah. And of course, he is only five. He's got quite a long school career ahead of him. But he's in, he does have the privilege of English being the other language. What do you think the future is going to look like for him? I think the next sort of four to six months will be really important in sort of helping him to, to get more Dutch and more exposure, especially with the summer holidays coming up. But I myself am confident that he'll he'll be able to do that. And I just hope he'll see it as a positive thing and that sort of in his long-term future that, that it will benefit him. That's what I hope. I do sort of anticipate a point in time at school when he'll sort of say, Mum, I want you to stop speaking English to me because everybody else is speaking Dutch. Please stop. So I am sort of prepared for that at some point. But What are you going to say if he says that to you? I really don't know. I mean, now both of us, my husband and I, are really sort of of two minds. What's the best thing to do now? Would it be better for me to switch to Dutch? And I think, no, no, it probably really isn't. It's, it's just so frustrating for him at school that he can't really communicate with the kids or not as easily. So you want to help him with that. But yeah. 
to my mind, it, it would be a short-term solution to switch mm-hmm. to Twitch now and also possibly confusing for him. Yeah, I don't really know what I'll say. It depends what age he'll be. I mean, if he's a teenager, he'll probably be screaming at us for all sorts of reasons. So this could be just another reason to hate us. Yeah. No, I can see. I can see that. And uh, I don't know what I will say to my kids either if they ever say that to me. How old are they? Almost 11 and 8. Oh, and they haven't said that yet? Ah, mm, no. Old. Okay. Often they tell me to stop speaking Dutch because, <laughs> think... because it's it's bad or anything. Because, yeah. No, because I don't I don't pronounce things properly, and my accent's actually pretty good. There are certain sounds that are very diff- difficult, and then I get told off. Let's finish with what piece of advice would you give to other parents when it comes to raising bilingual children? Be creative, really. Just think of all sorts of different ways to give the child's exposure to the two languages and really depends on what situation you're in. So what we have really enjoyed is an educational app with sort of games that he can do himself. And that's in English. And it's been really fun. It's helped him sort of count and all sorts of different things. And that's because he likes to learn for another kid. It might be reading more books to them or pointing out the colours in both languages and sort of just be creative and try and find something that your kid enjoys and make it playful. Yeah, okay. And I guess be flexible as well, right? Because you've had to do... Yeah, exactly. The things you might anticipate are possibly not what's going to happen and then something else will will take you by surprise and you sort of need to think on your feet a lot that's that's definitely another thing yeah well if there's one thing we've all learned this year it's to be flexible okay well thank you very much martha for coming on the podcast and uh, it's been uh, great talking to you absolutely let's let's so even if you speak english as your home or heritage language raising a child bilingually is not without its challenges At the same time, and as I said to Martha, having English as your home language clearly does put you in a position of privilege. There's still quite a lot of work to be done here in the Netherlands and no doubt in many other places in the world to make sure that all kinds of bilingualism are valued equally. One other thing that struck me in my conversation with Martha was that her son's teacher apparently assumed that bilingual children should be delayed in the school language. As we've discussed earlier on the podcast, when bilingual children haven't heard much of the school language in their day-to-day lives before they start school, it will likely be the case that they won't be at the same level in that language as children who are raised in that language only. This won't be the case for all bilingual children, however. Many bilingual children function at the same level as their monolingual classmates from the get-go. If you want to know more about the role of language input, listen to episode 2, where I talked to Erica Hoff about this question. Now, though, it's back to my conversation with Chantal. So we've talked about overlap between two languages. We've talked about uh, language dominance and what, what other factors might play a role? So another factor that has been investigated is age. Some people have found that influence between languages becomes weaker when children become older. But the evidence for this is a bit mixed because we also see from studies with older children, for example, that they also still show cross-linguistic influence. So it seems to be really part and parcel of being bilingual and it's just, yeah, part of, of that. Yeah, so it could actually be both, right? We could see yeah. it partly because children do this when they're developing when they're learning a language but it 
could also be for for certain structures or in certain ways or certain children carry on doing it as they as they get older. Okay, so what what does this actually tell us about bilingual language development then? The fact that we see this. Well, I think what it shows to us is that that like the languages of bilingual children are really closely interacting with each other, like when they're when they're speaking or listening uh, to speech. And we also see some evidence that when bilingual children use one language, then the other language also becomes activated. So they really closely work together. However, at the same time, we also see uh, because we don't see linguistic influence all the time we also see that children can really very well differentiate between their languages at the same time right so they keep them separate but yet they must be connected in some way right. yeah well i think that's the, the big question that uh -huh. we would like to know that we would like to find out yeah i think for a very long time people have assumed no there are the separate languages or to a certain extent at least and i think now more and more we see that languages are yeah probably to some extent connected with each other yeah and so one of the things that we use, one of the methods that we use to tap into this, is called priming, right? So the fact that when I say something, the way I say it might influence the way that you say it. Can you maybe tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so what we did is we used sentences. So for example, let's go back to the adjective noun orders in, in French and Dutch, for example. The, the idea is that if you use a certain word order in one language, at least some children, then use that word order again in their other language. So for example, let's go to the, the white uh, wine examples of uh, Blanc. Uh, so what we did in one experiment is we gave a word order. Well, it wasn't with wine, but for example... Uh, <laughs> That's not allowed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but for example, a white cat, so in, in French, so uh, chat blanc, cat white. And then the child had to describe some picture in English. And then we saw that children sometimes actually used that word order they just heard in French to describe something in English. So they might say something like a dog green. And so we saw priming from one language into the other. Yeah, that's what we mean, right, by priming, that basically you, you're influenced by the way in which somebody else says something. And so, so we see this, and we, there is plenty of uh, work, research, looking at bilingual adults that shows this too, that the, what somebody says in one language is... So if I say something in English, it can influence what you say in Dutch yeah. and, and vice versa. Yeah. Right. So what does that tell us then about the way the two languages are organized yeah well so might actually suggest that some of these word orders we have the, these, these structures we have for our languages actually are shared that we not necessarily learn the same word order separately for our two languages or at least bilingual children don't do that but not necessarily that everything becomes shared but also that if when when one word order is very active in the head of a child because they just heard it in one language they might actually use that in their other language then because it's so strongly activated yeah, yeah. So that's also something that might influence, which might have an effect on the extent to which one language influences another, right? So yeah. if we were just speaking a lot of Dutch before we actually started this recording, yeah, which because we normally speak Dutch to each other, so then we might see more influence of Dutch. Maybe people can hear that we've been just been speaking <laughs> <Maybe>. Dutch. <laughs> so you might find more influence of Dutch then compared to when we'd spend the whole day talking English to yeah. each other, right? That's to do with this idea of your languages being activated or active, yeah. uh, woken up. You can think of it like that. Yeah. And we don't know that much yet, really, about this in bilingual children. So if the two languages are in some sense shared, then do you think it's from the start or do you think it, it happens gradually? Yeah, that's a very good question. Honestly, I don't know. I don't know if it's from the start. Like, 
I can imagine if a child has learned something in one language and it's also present in their other language, maybe they can just use what they've learned from their one language and use it in their other language. Mm -hmm. We don't really know, right? So on the other hand, like I said before, we know that children are really good at differentiating their languages from, from very, very early on, they, yeah. they do so. So yeah, what does it mean? I don't know. Yeah, that's a bit of a puzzle that yeah. we need to figure out yet. Some languages are similar, right? Because they come from the same language family. So German and Dutch, for example, or Spanish or Italian. Does that play a role in how much one language influences another, right? Do we see it more with uh, languages that are closely related to each other? So... Again, I think my answer is going to be a bit mixed here. Like I, so in my own research, I did find some some differences for children. Like if in one study, I found cross linguistic influence with German Dutch bilingual children, like mm -hmm. very very closely related languages, and I didn't see it with English Dutch bilingual children. But of course, still related languages, but not as closely. It might be the case that it matters how closely related languages are. At the same time, we do see from all different kinds of studies that very different languages also still influence each other. So for example, English and Persian or English and Cantonese, we also see cross-linguistic influence there. So it might matter, but I mean, we do see cross-linguistic influence with very different language combinations. Yeah. Okay, we're going to listen now to our Klet's Head of the Week. Klet's Head of the Week. Hi, I'm Nicole, I'm 12 years old and I live in the Netherlands and speak Dutch, Italian and English. Dutch, Italian and English, so you are trilingual, Yes. we call that. So can you tell us about that? Who do you speak English with? Well, my dad speaks English to me and I talk back to him in Dutch. Okay, and your mom? I speak Italian. So she speaks to you in Italian, you speak back in Italian? Yes. Yeah, and Dutch, you learn? Well, I speak Dutch with my friends and sister. Aha, I was going to ask you about that because you have an older sister. Yes. Okay, so you two speak Dutch with each other? Yes. N never Italian? No. No? Why not? I like Dutch better and she does too. And it's just weird if we talk Italian to each other. Well, when we do it, it's weird, we think. Yeah. When you go back to Italy, right, when it's allowed again, yes. do you speak Italian to each other then or do you speak Dutch? Also Dutch. Yeah, it's like a little secret language. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, aha. Uh -huh. And what's the best thing about being bilingual? I can speak with a lot of friends that don't speak Dutch and I'm very good at English at school. So you get good marks? Yes. Yeah, aha, uh -huh. good. Is there anything that's less good about it? Well, there's something called begrijpend lezen and that's that you read a text and then there's questions about it and I'm not very good at that. So we think it's because I speak three languages. Uh-huh. And what makes you think that? Well, because I'm not really good at reading. My parents think it. Uh-huh. Do you find it hard at school? Mm, no, not, no. Good. So you said you prefer to speak Dutch. Has it always been like that? Can you remember when you were smaller? Was it different? Well, maybe when I was smaller, I would like more English. But I don't think so. No? I think Dutch also. Yeah, yeah. Have you got any other friends who are bilingual? Yes. Well, one friend is the same as me, English, Italian and Dutch. But one friend doesn't speak Dutch. And I just talk Italian with her. And sometimes I say a word in English because I don't know how to say it in Italian. Uh -huh. And if you have to speak English, you can do? 
Yes. Yeah. I mean, I can hear it now. I think your English is great. It's much better than my Italian, I can tell you. So is it important to you that you can speak Italian and English as well as Dutch? Well, my grandparents are Italian, so so that I can speak to them. And English, it's always handy for in other countries, but I don't speak it very much. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose Dutch you have to, right, if you yes. live in the Netherlands. Um, when you're older, what languages do you think you'll speak? I think the same. Yeah. And imagine if you had children. I realise that might be a long time off, even <laughs> if you ever have children. What language are you going to speak to your children? Well, it depends on where I live, because if I live in Italy, I am first going to teach them Italian, mm-hmm. and then there are other languages. So it depends on where you live, yes. and I guess on what language the partner speaks, yeah, right? Yeah, also. Yeah. Have you got a favourite word in Italian? No. No. What about a word that sounds like a Dutch word but means something different? In Italian, it's prima e prima in Dutch. Uh-huh. In Italian, it means prima. So prima, I'm going to school. So first, I'm going to school. Uh-huh. And in Dutch, it means like, okay. Yeah, right. So for if people are listening and they think well, prima means like... If you say, oh, shall we do that? And you say prima, it means like, okay. Yes. But actually it means first in, yeah, in, in Italian. Italian. Do you ever have to think twice sometimes about whether it's an Italian word or a Dutch word or an English word? Italian not, but English sometimes. Yeah. Now I've seen, because we're actually doing this uh, live and I'm at your house, and we're doing it face-to-face instead of online, which is very exciting. I've seen that you've got two cats now, I want yes. to know, are the cats trilingual too? Well, I speak Italian and Dutch to them. Uh-huh. And they understand? Well, sometimes, yeah. Well, only when we call them, like Cookie and Malou, they come and not if we say food or something. Yeah. Cats aren't very good at follow- <laughs> following orders, are they? No, they're not like dogs. Can you read in Italian and English? English, yes, and... Italian, some words I don't know, but... That's kind of normal, right? You can't know all words in all languages. What do you think? And I never read in Italian or English, so... No? No? You prefer in Dutch? Yes. What's your favourite book? It's called In the Ruimte Still, what means in the sky it's quiet. It's like a girl and her sister. She doesn't know where her sister is, and it's a girl that doesn't want to talk to people, and... She loves the sky, all uh-huh. that sort of stuff. Uh-huh. Sounds nice. Yes. But I'm going to recommend it to my uh, daughter. Talking about in, being in the sky and thinking about things, it made me think of dreaming. Do you know what language you dream in? Um, mostly Dutch and sometimes also Italian. How do you know? If it is Italian, it's, it's with my grandparents or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It depends on who's the dream. Yeah. Who's in the dream. Yeah. And do you listen to music? What language? English. English? Because Italian has got a lot of music, right? It's a very rich music tradition. Yeah. <laughs> like it's no. No. She's now looking at me going like, no way do I <laughs> listen to that music. Okay. Now, I don't really know Italian. So maybe can you teach me something in Italian? Maybe just saying hi, I am Sharon. Yeah, okay. Ciao, io sono Sharon. Although you'll have to say it a bit slower. Ciao, I got. Io. 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 Eh, sì. 
Yes. Sono. Sono. Then your name. Okay. Ciao, io sono Sharon. Yes. Okay. Okay. Ciao, io sono Sharon. I hope I I managed to get to practice that some <laughs> some time. And how do you say thank you and goodbye? Goodbye is ciao, but that's also hello. Uh huh. And thank you, uh, grazie. Grazie. So grazie, Nicole. E ciao. Let's head off the week. Okay, so I'm sitting outside today for an outside recording. Yay! Talking to my colleague Chantal van Dijk from the Rabat University and we're talking about cross-linguistic influence, so how one language can influence the other. We've learned that not all children do it, that there seem to be certain factors that play a role, so whether the languages overlap in a certain sense, whether children are dominant in one language or another. So that's all very interesting. But I think as a parent, you might be interested also to know whether this is something that you should do something about, right? Whether you should worry about this if you hear that your child is influenced by the other language. Is it something that you should worry about, Chantal? So I can be very short about that. No, there's no reason to worry about it. It is just being part of being bilingual. Bilingual children have two languages, so they know they have multiple word orders or rules from both of their languages, so they have more options than a monolingual child. And we see that it's just, it's it's really common. We, do, we see it for um, a lot of children, mm-hmm. and it's just part of being bilingual. Yeah, and what about as a teacher? If as a teacher you hear bilingual children saying things in the school language, that would be Dutch here, or whatever that language is, wherever you are, is that something that they should worry about or is there anything that they should they take action i think the most important thing is being aware that it happens that it's just part of being bilingual being aware that there is something like cross-linguistic influence might help teachers to understand uh, why it happens so my mother actually used to teach dutch and she i I talked about it uh, with her and for her it was like a bit of an eye-opener like oh that's why i sometimes hear this child say something different maybe than other children Mm -hmm. but it's not something to actively work on and the question also is whether you can do anything about it and I I don't think you need to do anything about it. Yeah I think you know if it's something that um, maybe is leads to mistakes which may be problematic in some sense in in the school language what you could do is as a teacher is to talk about the differences between Mm. the two languages right to ask children about what how their language works and to raise raise their awareness as well of how it works because that might also help them figure out the school language a bit better yeah i think yeah, that's so, true yeah yeah so i you know i i do agree that I, I think it is part and parcel of being bilingual and um it's good to be aware of that as a teacher at the same time i recognize too that you know children do need a certain level of proficiency in the school language and if the other language is making them you know, make mistakes as it were that are systematic and maybe problematic in some sense, then maybe just actually, as I said, raising awareness, talking about the language with a child. Or at first, yourself as a teacher, figuring out, trying to see if you can find out more about that language. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, thank you. It's been great to see you again, for real. 
Yeah, it was really nice talking yeah. about this. Yeah, yeah. and uh, hope uh, the the bird watchers who are listening can figure <laughs> out the all the birds that they can hear in the background. You can uh, let us know on social media. <laughs> In this episode, we've been talking about cases of cross-linguistic influence, so how one of a bilingual child's languages can influence the other. This means that bilingual children do something different from their monolingual friends, sometimes saying things that are not quite right, or perhaps not mastering a particular feature of one of their languages as quickly as their monolingual classmates. We also heard that cross-linguistic influence can lead to faster language development. The two languages of a bilingual child can also help each other. As I said earlier, there's been some research on this, but not much, perhaps because it's not so easily noticed. Cross-linguistic influence gives us a glimpse into the minds of bilingual children. It shows that the two languages are connected and that even when bilingual children are only using one of their two languages, the other one is still there, it's still active in their mind. And we know that this is the same for adults. We don't yet fully understand under what circumstances one language influences the other and why it happens to one child and not the other. So we definitely need more research on this topic. But one thing is clear, and that's that cross-linguistic influence is part and parcel of being bilingual. So that's it for this first season of the English edition of Klet's Heads. There are plans for a second season, but when exactly this will be ready to go, I'm not sure yet. Probably early 2022. If you've got any ideas for topics or guests or any questions you'd like us to answer, drop us a line either via the website www.kletsheadspodcast.org or on social media. In the meantime, enjoy your summer and stay safe. If you want to know more about Kletsheads, go to kletsheadspodcast.org. That's where you'll also find more information about this episode. And if you want to make sure you don't miss an episode, subscribe to Klet's Heads using your favourite podcast app. Make sure you select the English edition. And if you've enjoyed the show, why not share it with a friend? Thanks for listening. And as we say in Dutch, tot het volgende keer.